Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but I'm only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students, and I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. She's in the Horror Movie Hall of Fame. She's had a film festival devoted entirely to her, celebrating her cult status as the first female monster in movie history. In addition to her starring roles in the Night of the Demons trilogy, she starred in The Young and the Restless in the late 80s, playing the villainous vixen Vivian. She's an author of six books published all over the world, Straight from the Horse's Mouth, How to Talk to Animals and Get Answers, The Language of Miracles, Aurora's Secret, and many more. She's the only psychic ever to be invited to Buckingham Palace to whisper with the horses of Queen Elizabeth II. Her unique abilities have earned her interviews in over 400 radio shows worldwide and appearances on talk shows and news broadcasts all over the globe. I've had the honor to share the screen with her 33 years ago in the original cult classic, Night of the Demons. I want to welcome the legend, Amelia Kincaid. Welcome to Hollywood Dreammaker. Wow. Well, that's quite a send up there, Billy Gallo. <laughs> that's, that's quite a resume. Well, thank you. It's, it's a good thing that neither one of us is aging. You don't look a day older. Maybe one day. Maybe <laughs> one day older. Oh, thank you. You look amazing. Maybe 48 hours older than you did when we made that movie. It's crazy. It's 30, well, I mean, it's probably 34 years. We filmed it in 87, I believe. It aired in 88, but I think we shot it in, in 87. Yeah. 34 years ago. I mean, we were yeah. just kids. And isn't it incredible now when we do these appearances, I have multiple fans every single week. They, everywhere I go, there are fans showing up with tattoos of me on their body. I know. That's amazing. I've never seen, I don't know anybody that has more tattoos of their face on somebody's body. I mean, I was blown away with the amount of people that have your tattoo, your face on their body. I, and that's only the few that we know of. And the artwork is evolving. It's turning into this brilliant kind of pinup artwork. I just got approached by a company. I'm going to be doing something for Represent Connect, and they're making an original T-shirt, original artwork. But this is really, I think, the core of, of what you teach and what I teach, and it's about being able to take your creativity and back it up with self-confidence and back that up with a knowing on my part that, you're on the planet for a reason. You came with a mission. And the desires inside of you are God's desires for your life. Those desires were put in you for a reason. And rather than put that on the back burner to be able to 
create things. And the fact that they're using the demons, and it's always the possession makeup. Now they've kind of blended it so that I've become this pinup that's half glamour, half possession. It's crazy. And some of it is so beautiful, it's shocking. But you know, when you've done these conventions with me that we've got, we've got fans showing up. Most of them are in their 20s and 30s. These aren't even the fans. These are the kids at the fans. Well, I was blown away when, when kids were showing up. <laughs> and they're coming in with original oil paintings. Somebody rebuilt the whole house set once. They're coming in with sculpture, Legos, dolls, all different kinds of pins and T-shirts and jackets and artwork that they're creating. I'm just really honored and a little bit baffled that this character has inspired that kind of legacy. Well, I mean, listen, you're in the heart of... Hall of Fame. I mean, that's amazing. You know, I mean, who would have thought when we did this film, you know, 33 years ago that, that you know, it would be such a cult classic. I mean, I don't do a lot of these conventions and the few that I've done where, you know, we meet the fans. I mean, I, I want to give a big shout out to all the fans out there. It's it's amazing. I mean, they really, they're true diehard fans. I mean, I, I'm, I'm approached, I get emails all the time. You know, people love this film. You know, they're, they're, Crazy, crazy fans out there. So big shout out to all the fans out there, Night of the Demons fans. Thank you for the support over all these years. And, you know, it just keeps going. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, I know you, you know, I'd like to start. Let's go back. Let's go back. You know, I created this podcast to inspire young artists to follow their dreams. You know, for a kid like me, a kid from Brooklyn, you know, from broken home, the streets to come out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket when I was 18 and, and make a career for myself. You know, if I can do it, then, you know, why can't you? You know, I mean, where did where did the, the bug for you, how did you know you wanted to be an actor? When did that, that start? Well, I didn't. I, I had graduated from Interlochen Arts Academy as a dance major. And the primary reason I think that I even got this role was because I had just starred in Sexy and 17 with Stray Cats. And that was a miracle. I, I have a very similar story to yours that... I, I was in college in Oklahoma and had had a favorite band and it was the Stray Cats. And this is more about how your intention, your intentionality can create your reality. Every night I would dance to this particular song. It was Stray Cats Drive. Every night looking in the mirror. The first miracle that happened was that the band came to Norman, Oklahoma. And I ended up getting in the elevator with Brian Zetzer. Now, this is six months before I even got to Hollywood. And he turned, and I'm alone with him, with one of my girlfriends. We actually, we had driven to Oklahoma City to see this band. And he turns to me and he says, where do you girls go to party? I was like, well, we didn't know. We was just hayseys, you know, and driven to Oklahoma City to see my favorite band. Well, we, we said something, and it was in the paper the next day that he actually went. And we didn't go. I chickened out. I didn't go. So I had this crazy passion for this particular band. And at that time, Rockabilly was completely new. They were doing something that had never been done before. It was really fresh. Now, this was the very beginning of MTV. And MTV was so exciting at that time. 
because it was rebellious and it was the first, you know, it's where the smash cuts were invented. It was a whole new kind of filmmaking, rock videos, which then turned into commercials. Because I, I worked with a brilliant commercial director who would who would create rock videos, Ian Leach. And now it's affected film so, so much. But I got to Hollywood. We go forward about four months. And I arrived in Hollywood to spend the summer with my favorite aunt of Golden Girls fame. That's Rue McClanahan, who played Blanche on the Golden Girls. I remember, didn't she come down to the set when we were filming Night of the Demons? She did. <laughs> that was cool. She did. And I had no intention of being an actor. And at that time, there was this paper called Dramalogue, which I'm sure you remember. Sure. And there was one audition. Uh, they, were, they wanted one girl for a rock video. I had no idea what it was. It was pouring down rain. I didn't have a car. I took a taxi. I got there late. I, I pushed my way to the front, which you're not supposed to do. Stood on the choreographer's heels. They had 100 girls in the audition, and they wanted one. They narrowed it down to five girls. They called me and told me that I got it. At this point, I still didn't know what it was for. And I discovered it was the lead in the Stray Cats video. Wow. Now, at that time, Sexy and 17 was really controversial because 17 was underage. I remember the video. It was awesome. You were great in it. Well, thank you. So I ended up on the cover of Life magazine, one of the faces of 83, dating myself. I couldn't have been more than six years old at the time. <laughs> Phil Donahue did a show on it. All these talk shows picked it up. Well, choreographers saw it. So the choreographers started calling me and I got the Motown review. So I got to be a backup dancer for Smokey Robinson and the Four Tops and all these massive stars. I mean, Ray Charles. And I went on tour with Donna Summer and did rock videos for Sheena Easton and, and did a slew of those dance movies. You know, this was just when breakdancing was just beginning. And we were coming from ballet companies. We were coming from, we were, I was classically trained as a ballerina. And I think had I not been, I never could have endured the special effects makeup that we went through. When I was dancing, you literally took off your point shoes, poured the blood out and put them back on. And you finished the Nutcracker rehearsal. That's how it went. And for Night of the Demons, for the amount of torture that I was put through, it was because I had that endurance as a dancer that I and had the patience of going through a lot of pain or at least being extremely uncomfortable. And it was my Aunt Rue who said, Mimi, you're going to be an actress. And I, I don't, I don't want to be an actress. I didn't have any desire to act at all. So dance is, is telling a story without words. And when I, I look back over my life now, the one through line of it all is story. I'm a storyteller. The books that I've written, I'm telling stories. And I think for all of your viewers who are aspiring and even ac accomplished filmmakers and actors, it's all about story. So was so was painting, so was cartooning, so so was all art about story. Being able to tell that story 
Now it's incredible because my second book was was mentored by an astronaut named Edgar Mitchell. It's called The Language of Miracles. And when I first met Dr. Mitchell, he said, you know, you're about 10 to 20 years ahead of your time. Now, he knew what I did for a living. The reason that I even made this connection with him is because he had a dog. And one of the only things Dr. Mitchell didn't know is, what is this dog thinking? This is a man who finished Einstein's unified field theory in his spare time for fun. He redesigned the space station one afternoon because he was bored. So he did it for fun. So I want to get, I'm going to ask you a question. I mean, so we, we jumped a little bit because I wanted to talk to you about, you know, what you do with animals. Uh, so the acting, so you, you just kind of, how did the whole Night of the Demons thing come up, come up, you know, how'd you get that part in, in Night of the Demons? How did that come to fruition? I was going on acting auditions. So I got this, this script and I, the second I read it, I know I was going to get it. And I think all of us, <laughs> all of us were on the same page with the fact that we thought no one was ever going to see this movie. I didn't think this movie would be available a week after we filmed it, much less 30 years after we filmed it. We all thought, oh, it'll get swept under the rug. It doesn't matter. We could just do whatever we want. And I was being asked to be scary. And I took it very playfully. And I went in to, to see Tedra Gabriel, the casting director, to this day, who says, I scared her so bad she was peeing her pants. <laughs> I, Climbed over her desk and started flirting with her. Got all up in her face, smiling about how I was going to kill her. You know, for all of us, the interpretation. You and I talked a little bit of off camera about soap opera acting and horror movie acting. And the truth of the matter is, rather than looking down on those two things, as everyone looked down on it in the 80s, these are the two hardest things you can do. Absolutely. That no one is going to give you direction on how to be possessed. Our script said, Angela is now possessed. <laughs> right, so, so what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? And each one of us had to bring to it a kind of creativity and a rawness because no one's telling us what to do. Nobody was telling you how to, and, and now it's just so run of the mill. Every time you turn on the television, almost every show is either zombies, vampires, sci-fi. I mean, even things like Gotham are fringe horror. The Marvel comics are fringe horror. Everything is. It's all about supernatural powers. And, and you're having to find something that no director is able to tell you what to do. And in the in the dance, I went into voodoo priestess mode. And oh, if you, well, I was there. I know. <laughs> I had, I had <laughs> and the only one there. that was there. I, I dropped I, onto all fours and shape shifted into a jaguar. So I was there. I was there. It was me and you in that room, and you, <laughs> dance, you know. And I was like, yeah, I had box seats. Yeah, you know, I was the president of the Lucky Club, and I was like, everybody else was. I was me, me and you, and you were doing that dance, and you spending all over the place and doing. It was a good show, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're the only one to say you had ringside seats. I, I was there. I was me and you in that room. And you did that dance, the, the you know, the legendary dance. 
Well, I, I think maybe there was a measure of freedom. And that's what comes with the low budget. I, I've never had the luxury of making the kind of movie that Sandra Bullock makes or that Julia Robert makes. I, I don't even know what that pressure is like, where there are millions of dollars that are weighing on your shoulders and you have to do what you're told. I, I've never been in that position before. The closest I ever came to it was The Young and the Restless. And soap operas are hard. Absolutely. So, there. I mean, one one day I came home and there was a pile of scripts on my doorstep, a pile. And I had to memorize the whole thing by tomorrow morning. So, I mean, they're hard. They're boot camp. Well, I think it's great, great practice. You know, for me, you know, I produced a film and uh, I went to New York to cast it. And some of the best actors coming into the room, they were on soap operas because they were constantly working that muscle. And they had made some big choices and they came in, they were prepared. They were more prepared than everybody else because they had been trained to have to pick up a piece of material. So they were not, you know, they were off book. They were playing, they were having fun. And those are the actors that I cast in the film. And, you know, three of the actors were on soaps, but they were the best actor for the part, you know? So I'm, I, I know. Meticulous, working with props, working with hitting a mark, working with hitting your light. And then you're multitasking. Let's say you're supposed to be doing the dishes or you knock on the door and you arrive with a gift. And when I did it, I wasn't allowed to knock on the door. Foley did that. Everything was union. I'm not allowed to carry the prop. It's going to be handed to me right before I walk in the door. You've got all this technical know-how that you have to have. And, and on top of that, remember the lines and do the scene and act. Sure. When I came on to, I, you know, I did a couple. So I did General Hospital and I, I did Days of Our Lives. I had a char- recurring characters on both of those shows. And wow. you know, when I got thrown onto that show, it's a moving train. So yeah. you have to be so prepared because they go, if you flub your line, they're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't, they're, they're, they're selling soap. They're, they're moving. Next, we're moving on. So, you know, you have to be prepared. Otherwise, you, you're gone. You know, you can't stall the train. You can't not know your lines, you know, so it's a machine. And, and those actors on that, they know their stuff. So it's hard work being on a soap. Did you know my Aunt Ruth started out on the edge of night? Her first job was in New York, and it was a soap. I also did little things on, on General Hospital and Days of Our Lives. And when she got the job on the Golden Girls, the one actress that they were having problems with was Estelle Getty because she was a Broadway film, act, I mean, a stage actress. She didn't know how to get on a set. She said, she's always turned around facing the wrong way. She's not facing the camera. She didn't know anything about being on camera. I worked and with- you worked with Estelle? Yeah, I did a TV show called Empty Nest with Richard Mulligan. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, I knew all of them and loved them all. Yeah, that was that was a great show. So, you know, I, you dropped some serious golden nuggets. And I want to kind of review a little bit because, you know, you talked about going into the Night of the Demons audition with Tedra Gabriel, the casting director, and climbing onto the desk and, and making some big choices and scaring the, the shit out of her. And that is why you got the part. You know, I tell my actors all the time, you know, I tell the story of me when I came out to Hollywood, the vision that you had of the stray cats, you know, you watched them, you were a fan of them. And then that you magnetize that to you. And so when I was like 17, I was in Brooklyn sitting on my mother's couch, watching a TV series called 
the fall guy about Hollywood and stuntmen and behind the scenes. And I, I'd look at that TV and I'd go, this, I want, I want to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I came out to Hollywood, my very first audition was guess what? For the fall guy. Mm-hmm. And it was a guest starring role for, and the character's name was Billy. So, so literally I walked into the room and the scene was, I'm threatening this kid and I'm trying to get him to deal drugs and, and I'm bullying him. Well, you know, I came into the audition and I literally grabbed the casting director at her chair and I, I got in her face and I started threatening her and she went time out, time out, time out. She goes, no, 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 no. She goes, number one, she goes, never, ever, ever, ever put your hands on a casting director ever again. I go, I didn't know. I'm sorry. You know, she goes, number two, she goes, you're not leaving town, are you? I go, no, why? She goes, because you got the part. Oh, my gosh. She told you on the spot. Right on the spot. She goes, you can't tell the other actors in the lobby because I got to read them out of courtesy. Never so, supposed to do so, it. So I walked into the lobby and I said, go home. She told me I got the job. So wow. long story short, I was at a rap party and I asked that casting director. I said, why? You know, why would you give me the part? She goes, you scared the shit out of me, kid. <laughs> that was the given circumstances of the scene. I was bullying, putting fear into somebody. That's yeah. exactly what I did. That's what you did with Tedra. The given circumstance that you were trying to scare her, you did. You scared her. You made her feel. You know, I tell actors all the time, that is your job. You have to look at the piece of material and ask yourself, why did the writer write this scene? What am I supposed to make them feel? And then make them feel that. Make them laugh. Make them cry. Make them scare the shit out of them. And that's exactly what you did. So, you know, that's a golden nugget. You know, that's why. I mean, you visualize this straight cats thing and you attracted it. And it came. You know, you use your talent, your, your dance background, and that's what you got, got you in there. One of the missing pieces in manifesting your dreams is the fact that visualizing it is not enough. You have to have the emotion that matches the actual manifestation and, the, and, and what will happen when you have received it, when it manifests, when you actually own it, you have it. And it's it's joy and it's excitement and it's it's freedom. And I think that what we had in that movie was a lot of freedom because as an acting teacher, you can't teach anyone how to be scary. You can't say to one of your students, okay, now be scary. And also, we weren't mimicking anybody else. With the dance, I wasn't mimicking anything I'd ever seen before. And in being scary and in the choices that we made in Night of the Demons, I don't think there wasn't anyone who had gone before me to create a template of, of what I was about to do or how to do it. So now we've got a lot of dancers mimicking what they saw on rock videos or mimicking what they saw you know, on an MTV, instead of saying, this is authentic, because I was trained as a modern dancer. It's authentic. It's coming from my soul. It's coming from me. It's, it's got to be an expression that is completely and totally real. And that dance may have been the pinnacle of being able to put on film something that was so raw and authentic that was coming from such a deep place in me. It was exactly what I wanted to do. Every step of it was what I wanted. I enjoyed it immensely. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> no rules barred. You well, know, I certainly had a very sexy audience, so it was pretty easy to do. You know what? You know what I think makes Night of the Demons, the original, such a cult classic is we had fun making it. Yeah, we did. 
you know, fun. And, you know, and I tell my actors all the time is, is, you know, when you're acting, when you're auditioning, it needs to be fun when you're in yeah. play mode and you're having fun. It's a different energy than when you're in fear and you're in your head and you're worrying what about other people's going to think. Just play. And we what, that's what we did. We were, it was play. We got to put on the makeup and the blood and the horror and the thing. And, and it was playtime. And I mm -hmm. truly I think they captured that fun on film and that will last forever because I mean I don't know for you for me I was what 21 I don't know something like that I was I was young I was young and here we are you know a bunch of beautiful girls and 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 it's a party <laughs> you know I mean it really was the original script was called Halloween party you know yeah. and and the whole movie was about a party we go to a party so we were having a party I mean it was it was fun and I think that's the magic same thing with the the dance auditions because i remember once i was i was talking to another dancer who was okay she wasn't super talented she was she was good she wasn't great and i said you know you when you get to that point where you know all the steps and you've got the choreography in your body so you don't have to think anymore and from that second on you are just you're having a blast you're just gonna, I'm gonna entertain them and lift them up and make them laugh and hear that, hear that. And she said, no. <laughs> so do you know that part where you don't have to think about, you don't think anymore? No. I went, oh, oh, see, it's ex you're exactly right, Billy, there. The fear, there's an excitement. There's an excitement, there's an edgy anticipation when you're performing. So there's always that that burst of adrenaline. But there has to be this point where fear and joy can't coexist. And there's a joy in it. Even if you're doing a sad scene or a violent scene, or there's a peace and a joy in it. And it has to be that playfulness where you're you're co-creating with this this spirit that's coming through you. Sure, you said it. I mean, you said it earlier today. It's got to come from your soul, you know. And this is this is this talent is a God-given gift. It's in yep. you. And when you get to, you know, I when I feel that adrenaline rush, I feel that excitement, you know, before I'm about to perform. Some people call it nervous. I call it excitement because it's my instrument telling me I might that light within me ready to explode. It's like it's time to play. It's it's telling me I'm exact doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm on the right path. You know, I want to be uncomfortable. You know, everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. You got to be able to step out of it and and be in that and play in that. You know, I mean, even today, I mean, doing this, you know, this is not comfortable for me. Talking on a microphone, staring at you know, looking at a camera. You know, my podcast, I had to get outside my comfort zone, you know, mm -hmm. because before it was me, you know, it was me, the actor, I can hide behind the mask of a character. It's, you know, it wasn't me, but this is me, you know? So I have to, every time I get on the mic, I get a little heart palpitation and I get excitement, but then I go, oh, that's exactly where I want to be. Yeah. That's batteries for actors. You know, you want that excitement, you know, it takes you to the next place, to the zone. You know, when you can get, you're in the moment and in the zone, magic happens and, you know, you're not in your head because when you're in your head, you're dead. You know, when you're in your heart, you're smart. So you're coming from your heart and you're playing. And I think that's true. The biggest thing is if you can be in play mode, 
you know, I know a lot of actors that have a shitload of IMDb credits. I mean, they got, you know, they work with everybody and their mother and, you know, they don't work anymore. And I know why, because they stopped having fun. It became a job. It's like, oh shit, I got another friggin' audition. I got to study. And, and then there was the desperation. I need this job because I needed to pay my, get my insurance to pay my mortgage to that, that, that. So now it's, it, the fun went away. The yeah. creation of the character, figuring out the wardrobe, the hair, the, how does your character walk? How do they talk? All of that fun stuff, you know, the play stuff, like how I like thinking of creating a character like Halloween, you know, you put on the wardrobe, mm-hmm. the costume, you put on the mask. You know, and then you get to jump around and play and have fun. And that's where the magic happens. And that's truly where the magic happens. You talked about your pouring blood out of your toe shoes in ballet and then putting it on and finishing the nutcracker. Well, it's that dedication. It's that hard work. You got to put in the work. Get bloody. You got to get sweaty. You got to put in that hard work because that hard work will meet prepper. You know, that preparation will meet an opportunity like that audition or the Night of the Demons audition. I don't know if they made you dance in there or whatever, but all of your hard work, the music video, that all that preparation had met an opportunity and then you got lucky. Mm-hmm. You made your own luck. You created that. You did the hard work. So that's the golden nugget there. Well, but the point that I was going to make with the, the astronaut saying you're about 20 years ahead of your time, I said, do you mean with consciousness? He said, no, I mean with technology. I'm only beginning to understand now what he meant. But all of these filmmakers now, I mean, everybody knows if you can't figure out something on your phone, you give it to your seven-year-old niece. (laughs) Or you give it to your eight-year-old nephew who will edit it for you and add the sound and add the titles. And So this is an entirely different world because for writers, artists, creators, musicians, there's no censorship. And I didn't know when I met him that that's what he was talking about, that I would be able to get on my own webinars, which go out all over the world, and I'm not censored at all. And now every every kid is a filmmaker, is a photographer, is a storyteller, and they can make their own movies. I remember, you know, you talked about that that film festival that I did where I, I was given that award for the uh, Horror Movie Hall of Fame. And we were judging all the new up-and-coming films that students were coming in with. <clears throat> I remember that the sequence I was most impressed with, and I said, oh, I love this one. And I love that, that phantasmagoric sequence in a carnival with a scary clowns and spinning and uh, the lights. And, and she said, I did that on my phone. <laughs> but also that's craft. That's what you're talking about. That's practice. You're putting in hours and days and years of craftsmanship. And when you look at Night of the Demons now, it, dated as it is, which is fine, I think that every single actor was going for it, going for it. I mean, if you look at Kathy Podwell at the end and Alvin Alexis at the end, they're going for it. I mean, nobody held anything back. And our special effects makeup was Steve Johnson. He was he was the best in the world. He had just won an Oscar for Ghostbusters. The director was going for it. The DP was going for it. 
the composer went for it, the editors went for it, the set designers went for it. And maybe it was because it, it was low budget. We thought, well, who cares? No one's ever going to see this. Let's just go crazy. Yeah, but that's filmmaking. You know, it's a collaborative thing and everybody, you know, brings their talent to it. And and really, truly everybody on that thing. I mean, I remember the, the production design. I remember walking into the house for the first time, man. That house was scary. You yeah. know, a lot of people don't know that, but we, you know, our dressing room were in the house. So, you know, the the first floor were the sets and, and, and then, you know, on the second floor we had our dressing rooms, but the whole house was, you know, made up to be this scary place. It was dark. The halls were dark. There was cobwebs. It was just, it was scary. You know, we, we had fun scaring each other. I mean, I don't remember pranks were pulled on you, but you know, we were constantly pulling pranks on each other and scaring the crap out of each other. I mean, I, I remember when, uh, when uh, Lance Fenton had his eyes taken out of his head and he was, you know, <laughs> walking down the hallway after makeup and I'm just coming out and we, we had a dressing room that, and, you know, he walked out and he had no eyeballs in his head. <laughs> that was scared of the crap. You know, it's you, your makeup. I mean, that the, the incredible makeup Steve Johnson did with you and, and Hal, you know, was, I mean, up close, it was just amazing. I mean, tell, tell us a little bit about the makeup, you know, the process. I mean, I know you guys were in those chairs for days. We were in the chair for five to six hours to get the initial level one possession on. That's before half my body was burned off. So once they added three hours of hot slime, that's nine hours. It took another hour and a half to get it off in the morning at least. So in in Demons 2, I was in that makeup for 27 and a half hours when they turned me into the 30-foot iguana slash snake. And I think not only do I hold the Hollywood record, I always will, because no one will ever do that again. No one will ever have practical effects where you're glued to a teeter-totter and strapped in a trench with two contacts in each eye. I had this, I think it was, I think it was Demons 1, maybe it was Demons 2. I had an ice chest that was filled with pineapple-flavored jello tongues. And they put the tongue and then roll it up and stuff it in my mouth. When, when they had all these different, because Steve Johnson was so obsessive, all these different degrees of possession. And then they'd squirt cherry blood in my mouth. So the possession makeup was extremely uncomfortable because we had our prosthetics glued on our cheeks and then had our cheeks Velcroed behind our neck. And you see that the first time when Linnea, Linnea is actually the first one to be possessed, Linnea Quigley, when she drops her head down into the frame, her cheeks are pulled tight behind her neck, like mommy, mommy, my ponytails do that. And that gave it an even another level of, of creepiness, yeah, you know, good grief. No, it was, it was incredibly not fun. Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough. I've been impressed. You know, the interesting story is when I did uh, Night of the Demons, you know, in the original script, Halloween Party, I was supposed to have that full possession too. But when I went, Steve Johnson, I was supposed to have my arm in, in the original script. I had my arm ripped off and I had the possession. But when I went to Steve Johnson and he did a head mold of me, I was claustrophobic. I could not sit in that frigging cast on my head. Bill, you're the only one that was such a baby. 
I could not do it. I could. One I, I didn't know they rewrote the script because you wouldn't do the makeup. The script, I could not breathe. First off, you you can't hear, you can't see. Now this thing's dripping off, closing off my nostrils. I got a straw in my nose to breathe. I can't. My mouth is closed, and I'm trying to sit there. And I was like, "Take this shit off. Get it off of me now." I was like ripping at it because I could not. I was like, felt like yeah, I was claustrophobic. I could not. Do it. I didn't know they changed the script for they, you. They, do you know how blessed you were that they didn't just fire you and hire somebody they, else? They they changed the script, and and my arm was. I did the mold for my arm, and then it it changed to Philip getting his arm taken off. I didn't know the original script. It was my arm. That was that was easy. I I stuck my arms in those vats of plaster. That wasn't a big deal. The logo that Hal wears with the devil on his shirt. He's got that devil smoking a cigarette on his gray sweatshirt. Yeah. Well, that in the original script was on my back, on my jean jacket. And I said, I don't want that on my jean jacket. I said, give it to somebody else. (laughs) <laughs> so that's how that got to him. They must have really liked you if they if they allowed you to have all these concessions. Yeah, it's funny when I read the script. You know, I want to do a table reading of the original script. I want to get the whole cast together and read the Halloween party script and do wow. it via Zoom. I think it'd be fun. I'm, I'm planning on it. My schedule's been just crazy busy, but that's you know that's you know been in my mind for a while. It'd be fun to have a cast reunion and read the original script. So uh, I'd love there. to. Love to. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Memories, Night of the Demons. You know, what's your fond favorite memory of making Night of the Demons one, the original? Uh, well, it's very self-serving, but undoubtedly it's a dance. That was my favorite, too. I'm Well, good. Dancing for you, Bill. You had a private table dance. It was good. Unfortunately, I, I, I got a little crazy toward the end there. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what about, uh, what about worst memory of making the film? Having the makeup peeled off my face, actually one one day in Demons 3, which we shot in the woods outside of Montreal. It was incredibly beautiful. One day they had peeled the possession makeup off my face, and the next day I was supposed to have glamour makeup. And I had holes that were bleeding on my skin. And I called my attorney and I said, I... I never do this. And that comes from the dance background. It doesn't matter what they put you through. You just say, yes, may I have another? You don't ever, ever, ever say no. And I said, I can't. The makeup artist said, we cannot do this. Her face is bleeding. And they told the director and the director talked to my attorney and the attorney was making my deal. He said, she can't come in tomorrow. Her face is bleeding. So the hardest thing for me was that the schedule of shots, as you know, and I don't know if this has changed at all when you're doing something like Walking Dead, because I haven't done those kinds of shows yet. Nothing was scheduled for the possession makeup. It wasn't like they're going to put you in possession makeup and get all your shots while you're in possession makeup. Put Hal in the possession makeup, get as many of those shots with him in makeup that took nine hours to get on him. I remember one time Hal Havens was begging to sleep in the makeup because they were going to take it all off. And eight hours later, he's going to go home, sleep for six hours, come back, and they're going to glue it all back on again. He said, just leave it on. Just can I sleep in it? Let me sleep on the couch. So what was hard is going back and forth and back and forth between glamour and possession. 
I guess the way they made the schedule was about the sets, what the set needed to be, you know, from one day to the next. So we were shooting all night in downtown LA on very, very short schedule. How many, how many days did we have? Like, it's like, I found, I actually found my old, yeah, yeah, we shot in like 18 days or something like that. It's like crazy schedule. I think it was the, the, you know, they smoked. Remember the, the they smoked <laughs> every set. You know, they smoked. It really cool, smoky. The lighting, you know, the scary, the shadows. They had these little blue cookies that they were on a frying pan, and they they light them up, and they smoke the room, and the whole room was this blue smoke, this blue toxic smoke that we were acting in and working in. Tanzini tells a story. We, uh, what did he say? They, they said, do, "Do you think we have enough?" smoke is there enough smoke on the set and tanzini stuck his finger up his nose and he pulled out his finger and it was all blue he goes yep we're, we're good right <laughs> yeah, blue i think they, they not only knows what we were breathing see i was breathing that in all the rock videos i did well they banned that that's no longer available <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised we're all still alive you know <laughs> because we were breathing that stuff for for 18 days <laughs> I have a lot of great fond memories. I mean, I, I tell the story of, you know, one time when we were doing the, the blood and when I got impaled and I had all the blood all over me, blood just covered in blood and it was late and I wanted to come home. I just wanted to go home and go to sleep. You know, I told the makeup people, I said, I just, I, I just left. I, I was like, I'll, I'll wash it off at home, you know? And I jumped yeah. in the car and I was speeding to get home and I got pulled over by the police. And now the police pull me over and I'm literally covered in blood. And the police officer comes over to me and he sees me covered in blood. And, he, and I go, officer, I said, I'm an actor. <laughs> I'm coming from a movie set. I said, this is fake blood. I said, can I reach for my wallet? I, I pulled out my Screen Actors Guild card. I showed him my SAG card. I showed him my, my okay. script. <laughs> and I said, I'm just trying to get home. And he said, go ahead, get out of here. He let you go. Phil Tanzini had that story of driving through either a Burger King or something like that with his with his arm chopped off. So he's (laughs) it's spewing blood. And now it's illegal. I've heard it's illegal to go out in public in special effects makeup. Really? Because the person could have had a heart attack. You you could have caused an accident if someone was driving past you on the freeway. You're not allowed to just go to burrito trucks <laughs> were you involved in that prank in the burrito truck i don't think i was in there that day for the burrito truck prank. how havens tells that story of being in the the nine hour possession makeup where he's half his body's covered in slime he's fully possessed and we're shooting in a bad part of town and there were lots of gangs you know that were in the street and he went up to a burrito truck <laughs> in his possession makeup the next morning because he claims he was hungry and forgot he had the makeup on. I don't buy that for a second. I think he deliberately went up to them just to scare the hell out of them. He said, you've never seen gang members scatter faster. Than I- <laughs> no, it, it was, it was Dude, come up in his makeup. It was some really scary makeup. I mean, there, you know, that house was so scary. I, did, I think I told you that time I was sitting outside. We were filming. I was outside and. I think I was just smoking a cigarette and I was sitting outside the whole house and I saw there was like this huge black widow spider that was like, like crawling down, you know, in a web. And I was like looking at this spider and then I watched 
this old woman walked by me and she walked by real slow and she turned around and she looked at me and she said, get out, get out. And I was like, what the fuck? I scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about, but I was all freaked out. I came back into the set real fast. Wow. A lot, lot of fun times, a lot of great memories from making the film. So let me ask you, if you were to go back and uh, talk to the young you and give you some advice about life or about acting or about anything, what, what would that advice be? My advice to myself would have been to not worry so much. Now, I think part of it is finding the art form where you are able to go into that zone. You know, the last book I wrote, I lead safaris in Africa, and the last book was called Whispers from the Wild, and I spent three weeks in a tent on the Zambezi River, surrounded pretty much by elephants and lions and leopard and giraffe and warthogs and crocodiles and all these creatures that I love. And I sat down to write. I remember ordering a cup of coffee. And the African guys who work there came up to me with a coffee and I started writing. And then I noticed that it was getting cold and mosquitoes were biting me and it was getting dark. And I thought, okay, this is very strange. What's going on? I look up. One of them came up to me and he said, Milady, you haven't moved for eight hours. I hadn't gone to the bathroom. I hadn't eaten I had been writing for over eight hours. A lot of people think that acting is going to be the creative expression where they can reveal their soul and let their soul free the way what we're talking about. And it, it might not be. It might be that that person is, is going to be a, a costumer. Maybe their joy is going to be fashion or filmmaking or editing or painting or writing or some other form of creativity. A lot of young actors find their sea legs as an actor and then they use that in later life. And it, it's fantastic if you're in any form of public speaking or even if you're in the corporate world and you have to present something and teach or go online and do webinars. But I worried too much about my future. As a dancer and briefly as an actor and then for most of my life as a writer, the work, they call it downward causation as, a, as opposed to cause and effect, where the future's pulling the past. This is something that is supposed to happen. I mean, when I'm, when I'm teaching the work that I teach with animals, with writing, with intuition, it's the God within you listens to the God within the animal. I'm not going to read their mind. I'm not going to try to make them do something. I'm not going to force my will upon them. But I teach people to find that sacred space, that silence, that grace, that gratitude, that joy that's beneath your thinking process. So the nervous mind is not allowed to run. The turbulent emotions are not allowed to run. And we're moving into this space inside of us where there's nothing but silence and grace and joy and freedom. And then we're connecting that and acknowledging that it's already connected. 
that same spirit of God is in every elephant. It's in every dog. It's in every great white shark. It's in every bird of prey. It's in every wolf and owl and eagle. It's This is the spirit of universal creativity. And it, it's everywhere present. When we're in touch with it, all we have to do is just continuously ride that wave. We're following our passion. We're loving things into being. You talked about loving something into being. I remember as a child turning on the television in Denton, Texas, and watching TV and thinking, I would give anything. And my mother watched Days of Our Lives to be on that show. And fortunately, I had a template because my aunt, coming from Ardmore, Oklahoma, this is a little girl from a little town. You don't leave Ardmore, Oklahoma to go be on Broadway. And she did. She, she did do it. And my mother's got double doctorates in radiation biology and molecular chemistry. She also did it. She followed her dream. But there is a rebelliousness in both you and me where we weren't about to let anybody tell us we couldn't do it. And I mean, to this day, even if what I'm working on is about your connection to God and spirit and that Christ consciousness within you, there is still a kind of fury that no one can stop me. No one can tell you otherwise because you know that it's the truth. And that's why I end up doing things like flying to Rome and Vienna and coaching Olympic show horses Amazing. and winning gold medals and volunteering for people who are rescuing great white sharks and cheetah and penguins. And, and I work for the show horses all over the world. I work for tiger sanctuaries all over the world. There's a difference between fear when that fear is grounded in reality and having a fear stop you from doing what is God's destiny for your life. We weren't about to let anybody tell us no, because what we felt felt so right. It felt so true. And I think maybe that's what talent really is. Talent is when you're operating from the most divine soul source that you have. So it's never yours to own. Talent is a kind of channeling. Yeah, I think it's a gift. I think it's a God-given gift. It's in you. You know, some people have the talent to sing. Some people can dance, play an instrument. You know, I think whatever your talent is, it's it's a gift that was given to you, and it's your obligation to share that talent, to shine that light, you know, to the world. And if you come, and I tell my actors all the time, if if you come into an audition not trying to get anything, not trying to um, looking to get the part or worried about what people think about you, but just I'm going to shine my light in this room. The God within me is going to say hello to God within you, yeah. and, it, and it's and and I'm prepared and I'm I'm having fun and I'm I'm in play and you know that's that's the little cherry on top. You do all the work, but you come in with that kind of energy, just shining your light. You know I'm not here to get anything. I'm here to give. This is my talent. This is my God-given gift. This is what I'm bringing. And leave it behind. If you can leave a piece of your soul behind, 
in that room, they're going to remember you. They're going to become a fan of your works. You know, they're going to bring you back. And you may not be right for that part or whatever, you know, but they're going to remember you. And, and that's playing the big game. That's coming from your soul. Uh, didn't that happen to you so often? A lot of the time, I wouldn't get the part. I didn't get it on the first try. That casting director would call me back, and six months later, I'd get something. Absolutely. I mean, I, I had one casting director that I had read for her like three times, and I, I gave him my all each time. And I was like, you know, they called me back again for a fourth time. And I was like, you know what? Forget her. She knows what I used to tell her to watch my demo reel. You know, I, I, I was like not happy, <laughs> you know, like, well, why, why is she torturing me? She, I, she don't like me. Why is she, you know? And I, I finally, you know, sucked up my ego and said, you know what? I'm going to go in anyway. And I went in and I read and I got the part. And it was for Jerry Bruckheimer's first foray into television, a TV series called Soldier of Fortune. And it was a reoccurring character on the show. And I'm at the rap party and I'm talking to the casting director and I go, you know, I thought you didn't like me. She goes, what? She goes, I loved you. She goes, those other roles were, I, I was saving you for something better. I thought you were better than those roles. What? And like, I, I was beating myself up, but she knew what she was going to, what she wanted to, you know, find me something better. So she was a fan of my work because I came in and I played the big game. I didn't get those parts. I didn't know that she was a fan of my work. You know, that's why you got to go and you always give 150% and you go have fun and not worry about getting the job. Just, you know, make some fans of your work. And the only way you do that is if you're not in your head and you're coming from your heart. Yeah. You know, I always say if you're in your head, you're dead. And if your heart, you're smart. And if you come shining your light and, and in play, you know, that's somebody I want to work with. You know, and that's, I'm going to become a fan of your work. And I, I think that's how you become a working actor. A lot of the time it's out of their control. Maybe the director wanted somebody else. Maybe they promised it to somebody else. Maybe the writer wanted somebody else. But I, I think I got Night of the Demons because the writer wanted me. Joe Augustin wanted me. Did you dance in the, did you have to dance in the audition? Boy, that's a good question. I don't remember that. I don't remember dancing in the audition. Joe had seen the Stray Cat video and he he wanted me for the this role because of the dance. You know what I love about this Night of the Demons, you know, that we it's like a family, you know, when we get together, it's like, you know, now there's a true love for every one of the actors and everybody involved in the film. You know, it's you know, I love them all. It's like family. You know, you don't see I don't see them for years and then we get together like nothing's changed. You know, it's it's one of those rare things. You know, I've worked on a lot of projects with a lot of cast. And, you know, this is the only film that I feel that way. You know, Night of the Demons is the only film that I truly feel like a bond, like a family. You know, I guess maybe because we were just so young and so much fun, you know, and we've, you know, we've stayed together over the years, you know, I've had reunions and that kind of stuff. But amazing. Because we liked each other then, but we like each other more now. I think so. <laughs> some of the original cast have become some of my best friends. Hal Havens lost his wife last year, you know? Sorry, yeah. And I called him. I was afraid to call him because I thought, oh, everybody's calling him. I don't want him to feel that he has to call one more person back and he's probably too upset to talk. And I hadn't talked to him the longest time, maybe years. And he said, you know what, Mimi, you were the one person I wanted to hear from. There's a lot. Now, that's phenomenal. Just just phenomenal. And Linnea Quigley and I have gotten to be the closest friends. We spend a lot of time together. I mean, you guys, every time I see, you know, on social media, you're at some, some event, you know, 
interacting with the fans and doing a convention. So you guys, you really, you guys spend a lot of time together, huh? Well, I demand they take her, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make an appearance for none of the demons without Linnea. And I try to get him to take everybody. I also had a reunion with Alvin Alexis up at the Mahoning Drive-In. I'll be there again in July for Joe Bob Briggs is doing a three-day film festival. So Linnea and I are going to be up there in July. But I'm always trying to get all of us together. I'm saying, will you take Billy? Will you take Cal? Will you take Kathy? Kathy Podwell. She's amazing. Jill. I don't do a lot of them. I would love to have one where we're all together, like everybody. Mm-hmm. Nobody's missing. I, I definitely want to do this as table read. So that's coming soon. So, you know, anybody listening out there, please look out for it. We're going to be doing the, the original Halloween party script table reading. That would be fun. That would be so much fun. You know, I've, I've watched a couple of these readings that they've done. I think they did uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Did you see the table reading they did? They had like Sean Penn and they had, I mean, they had a full of Julia Roberts and Jen, Jennifer Aniston. I mean, it was. Wow, that's incredible. You know, so that's where I got the idea. I was like, we got to do a Night of Demons table read, you know? That would be incredibly fun. I'm going to set that up. So my next big horror con is in June. And that is, uh, let me see if I have those dates in front of me. It's third weekend. Take a look. The Houston horror con. I know Linnea's coming. I still might be able to get you in. I'll try. It's the 25th, 26th, 27th of June. Meanwhile, I've got an animal communication workshop coming up on the 5th and 6th. It'll be the first live one I've been able to teach. It's at a horse rescue here in Texas. It's in Amarillo. And then Joe Bob's Jamboree at the Mahoning is July 16th. And then maybe a little thing in Little Rock, Arkansas, the next weekend. Well, if you give me all those dates and, and stuff, I'll put them in the show notes so and, or whatever links to them. So if anybody wants to come to a convention and, and see you or go to one of your things, they'll they'll have a link. In the Are show. you still selling pictures? Am I, am I still selling pictures? <laughs> Signing things like this. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So if funny. Anybody, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, what, what, what are you, your, your social media or how do they get in touch with um, you? The best way to do it is probably Facebook. They can Instagram. They can Facebook. To Facebook? Yeah. They can look me up on Facebook because I'm here in Dallas right now. I'm still just weathering the COVID thing. But I can always sign these and send them to people. Their original T-shirts about to get posted. We've got all sorts of pictures and so art. What's your Instagram handle? Um, they can just look up my name. They'll find me. Wonderful. Well, I'll put the links in the show description so anybody wants to contact you or get an autograph, they know where to come. Amelia, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to you know share your wisdom and knowledge and, and be you know on the podcast. You look beautiful. You look amazing. I'm so excited uh, that, uh, you know, you're out and about and doing stuff and you're writing. You know, I've, I've read some of your writing. You've got some really cool stuff in the works. Um, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Right? In person. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears, Billy. Yes. People are always asking me about acting. And Angela's got something up her sleeve. Awesome. I think I, I'm, I think I'm not done yet. No, you're not. I'm not done yet. Right. My aunt kicked into gear at about this age, and I'm 
ready and willing to do that too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.